everybody and welcome back in to another episode of the Catella Chronicles podcast with your host Dominic Lorenz and welcoming back into the show co-host David Goodkind in the house. David, how are we doing today? You are one week away from being a married man. Yeah, I've been super busy so it's been a hot second since I've you know participated in one of these but I'm really excited to be back and talk Ducks hockey with you guys. It's, it's, been, a, it's been a long off season feels like and I'm ready to get back into hockey. Oh, there's, there's always something to enjoy in Southern California, if it's the beach, if it's the mountains, if it's Disneyland. But if you're a sports lover, the calendar has flipped past October the 1st. Angels baseball is done. The Angels, as we record this today, finished their season 73-89. and 89. Mike Trout did hit 40 home runs, and Shohei Otani had a phenomenal 2022 campaign and hopeful AL MVP winner. Um, but the chapter and book has closed on the Angels 2022 season, and it is now time for the book to open on the Anaheim Ducks 2022-2023 season. And it's always great here on Catella Chronicles since we cover both teams. It gives us the best of both worlds, 365 days a year. And we have a terrific guest today on the podcast to preview the Ducks season and get you set for opening day that's going to be on October the 12th as the Ducks host the Seattle Kraken at Honda Center before a big road trip to kick off the year as well. You know who that guest is? Well, he is one of the writers for the fourth period, and he is the Crash the Pond podcast host. Welcoming into the Teller Chronicles podcast for the very first time, let's welcome in Felix Sicard. Felix, welcome to the show. How are we doing tonight? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, I, I don't. I want to know what you guys think of the uh, Angels extending their their manager here. I feel like I, I saw that, and I I don't know what to think because I don't know anything about baseball. So I'm I'm curious what what the vibe. What's I, the vibe check there? I personally have like, it's to me it's it's been it's a predictable move, especially with the sale. You don't really want to add on multi year contracts while you're handing it over handing over the regime. So I think it was mostly just to create some stability not put too much on the new owner. So it was all a business decision. I don't think it had anything to do with the on-field product. 100% agree. It's it, it's a very loaded question. I will say that for the Angel fans that are listening, it's a very loaded question after a crazy debacle season that we went through, but probably the right move, new regime change in the ownership level. You don't want to do ownership and managerial changes at the same time. And right. if anybody knows, Mike Trout is the biggest voice on that Angel squad. And after Sunday's game, he publicly supported manager Phil Nevin, and I think that bodes very well for Phil, and he's a local guy from Cal State Fullerton, so Angels always love having local products on the squad. So uh, good move for now. Hopefully it uh, reaps some benefits after a, a big offseason that the Angels will hopefully have, and I know David and I agree on this one. Hopefully the days are continuing to tick down on Artie Moreno's ownership yep. of the Angels. That's That seems to be a common <laughs> theme amongst uh, Angels fans, so. It is glad, and glad we're on the same page here. Yeah. It is. And it, I didn't actually have this on our Ducks season preview breakdown, but it actually kind of fits the mold for how we can start this conversation about the Ducks. Um, Ducks have been a big focal point in Orange County for 25 plus years. Um, owners, Henry and Susan Samueli have been terrific owners for the Ducks organization, pillars of the Orange County community. There has been rumors that, not official official rumors, but thoughts that they might maybe not by themselves, but put a group together to try a push at the Angels' ownership. As a guy who has been fully in Ducks hockey, and if you guys don't follow Felix already on social media, especially Twitter, do it because he's amazing at the stats he brings to the table and the analyzation of the team. What do you think of the Samuelis potentially having rain on both sides of the 57 freeway. Yeah, that would be really interesting. Um, I think if you look at how they've owned and managed the the ducks, I think if you're an angels fan, you're probably feeling pretty good because they've, like you said, they've invested heavily in the local community. I mean, they've basically spearheaded 
the growth of youth hockey in Orange County and, and in part Southern California with the, the rinks initiative, you know, building rinks around the community, around the area. So just from a grassroots level, I think that there, there are people that really understand the kind of impact that they can have there. You know, they're definitely the kind of owners who let the people that they hire, they trust them to, to do the job. You know, there's never been anything about them being potentially meddling or what have you there. They understand, you know, we're going to empower the people that we hire to, to do the job. And I mean, you look at the results and they kind of speak for themselves. You know, the Ducks have by and large been a successful organization. They've won a Stanley Cup. They were a perennial playoff contender for, you know, the, the majority of the 2010s. So I, I think that, yeah, whatever, even if you're someone who has reservations about the Samuelis, which I'm not one of them, I think that they've they've done very well. They're kind of a model that you can follow for sure. David, does that sound like a breath of fresh air? Yeah, I think Felix nailed it. Um, and then to piggyback up what you said about the community, you also have the push, they're pushing forward with the OC vibe thing around the arena. And it's kind of what Artie wanted to do, except they're doing it legally by the book. <laughs> the city seems to embrace it more. I mean, it's night and day. Uh, I, I know the money aspect gets interesting. That's why we talk about, you know, ownership groups and all that. At the end of the day, this, the franchise has been well run since the beginning. It's successful. They seem like uh, a good people ever since they came into the ownership. Honestly, the only downside I've seen with them in my time as a Ducks fan the last 30 years is uh, the, the logo. I could, I would <laughs> like it to be tweaked a little bit, but that's, if that's my biggest complaint about the ownership group or, or the, the owners, then that's, that's, that's great. That's awesome. I wish that was my only complaint about the Angels. I think they would be a great opportunity for them to not only have a stranglehold on both sides of the 57 freeway and the whole OC vibe, you know, project that they are creating and, and overseeing. And they are just terrific owners. I think you guys both nailed it on ahead. I don't know if they got, you know, $2.5 billion in their back pocket to just write a check or get some cash in a briefcase and see what can happen. But getting them somewhere affiliated with the Angels, I think would be a terrific start. Um, in really reshaping the Angels organization as a whole. But getting out to the meat of it, Ducks hockey, Honda Center, it's back October the 12th, Ducks cracking, opening night. This is going to be a very exciting squad to watch uh, for the Ducks, I believe, this season. Turning back the clock a little bit to last season, the 2021-2022 season, the Ducks looked great in the first half of the year, 23-16-9 before the All-Star break. And then the trade deadline came, the second half came, and the youth movement really showed its growing pains with an 8-21 and 5 record. The biggest notable thing that happened last season, the captain, Ryan Gitzloff, retired after a long career with the Anaheim Ducks. He went out the right way. He was a pillar of the Ducks franchise. It was kind of a salute to the old, and here comes the new for the Anaheim Ducks. So Felix, thoughts on overall last year's Ducks squad, what they accomplished, what they didn't accomplish, and what Ryan Getzloff meant to this organization. First off on Ryan Getzloff, like you said, it's it's a passing of the torch going on here with the Ducks. You know, they're not, for, for, for the present moment, they're not going to be naming a captain. Peverbeek said that. And so it doesn't mean there won't be a captain this season, but I think you can kind of infer that it's not going to be happening anytime soon. They're going to let the leadership core sort itself out, which speaks to how influential Ryan Getzloff won. I mean, it was, he was a lifetime duck. He's the longest tenured captain in franchise history, won a Stanley cup leading point score the year that they won the Stanley cup. You can go on and on and on about his accolades and, 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 and it would be well-deserved. And I think that going back to last year, for the most part, I think what happened with the ducks, although it ended kind of, I mean, first off, we should mention the Ducks changed GMs kind of in the middle of the season last year, right. had an interim GM and in Jeff Solomon, who is still with the team as an assistant GM. There was a lot of upheaval. You know, there was the the rash of, of COVID cases on the team during the holidays. And so it wasn't really a normal season by any means. And there wasn't a lot of stability until kind of the end when Pat Verbeek came along. And so. All in all, though, the team did show progress. You did see guys like Trevor Zegras, you know, take a big step forward, being in the running for the Calder Trophy, the, the Rookie of the Year. You saw Jamie Drysdale also take some steps forward as well. And 
you saw Troy Terry become a star with the, before our very eyes. So all in all, even though last year was, I think, disappointing for a lot of people, maybe, you know, probably because of the way it started, this was, it was just, a, it was another step forward. This is a team that's rebuilding. They're not, you know, they're not yet at that level where you can pencil them in for the playoffs or a deep playoff push. And, and last year was just kind of, we saw like just the very beginning of that. We saw the ground level of what this could be. And it was exciting for a while, but then the trade deadline came and yeah, I mean, Pat Verbe realized, Hey, these unrestricted free agents, Josh Manson, Ricard Raquel, Hampus Unholm, I can either try to sign them, you know, to potentially long-term prohibitive deals that could really hamstring our, our flexibility moving forward, or I can just try to maximize them. He did try to re-sign them, just not to the massive term that they, some of them ended up getting. So all in all, I, as weird as last year was for the Ducks, it was actually a, a pretty big step forward, all things considered. Yeah, absolutely. I think they, there was a lot of positivity from the organization. Again, the 8-21-5 post-All-Star break record, I think, doesn't speak to the development that they put together. Yes, they had the lead or it was a good game. And then the third period, they just they ran out of gas. And I think that just is normal with a younger squad. But David, for you, we've talked about this a lot. Trevor Zegras really popped on the map. Troy Terry was a definite scoring threat consistently on this team. Um, And you do now still have a trickling here and there of veteran leadership like Cam Fowler, Adam Henrique, Silverberg. What can the young core take from last year that can not only better their individual games this year, but can really set the tone this year, next year, I would say for maybe the next three to five seasons? Well, we saw them come up and have a lot of success. So right there, it's going to start breeding some comfort. Uh, they know that what they're capable of now. And we've seen kind of like almost the base. We've seen Jamie Drysdale. He's only going to get better. And there's, there's just so much young talent coming up together. And they have a little bit of room to fail. The expectations aren't so like weight-bearing and, and getting into their head. There's no excuse for that. No one's really expecting any of them this year and they certainly weren't last year so you have a lot of room to to um do it in a comfortable setting in anaheim where you're surrounded by talent in support of their you know the front office yeah it's just it's just doing more of the same really at the at the end of the day and and fine-tuning where what needs to be fine-tuned and uh just getting accustomed to nhl hockey exactly and last season at this time we were talking about okay first year fully of trevor's egress and right. We got what we paid for. You paid to have an entertainment, you know, filled hockey game, and he's going to put on a show and have great technique and do all and, and do fancy things. We got that with a bucket of popcorn, and we sat back and we enjoyed it. This year at this time, we're talking about Mason McTavish. And I know, David, you see a lot of similarities between Zegras and McTavish. Um, but, Felix, I'll turn this one to you briefly. If fans don't know Mason McTavish, tell us, in, enlighten us, and give us a beautiful bedtime story about Mason McTavish and how excited <laughs> Ducks should be about McTavish. Yeah, I think, I think you got to be a little careful. I'll start with that because I think Mason McTavish has had a wonderful junior career so far. He lit up the World Juniors. He was clearly dominant at junior hockey last year, and. I think reasonably that's created some pretty high hopes for what this guy can be. And it makes sense when you watch him play, he's a very complete player, right? He kind of does all those little things that help keep the play going. Um, The way I kind of like to think about it is that he's a guy who just, he just kind of unlocks plays, right? So there's guys out there where they can't make that short little pass or that quick read off the puck or, they're not able to cover back in time on an assignment, what have you. And McTavish has those details down. And so the term I'm looking for is that he's a play connector. He's able to connect things together and make, make the lives of his line mates a lot easier. And to top all that off, he's got a crazy good shot, right? He's got an elite one-timer, a really fast and powerful release. So you put all those things together and that's a really, really intriguing player. But, and there is a but, unfortunately, he's 19 years old. I just think that fans should be excited to watch this guy play. I think that he will be a good NHL player almost right away, but I don't want to pump the, the, the brakes too much, but just saying, Hey, like it, it, there might be some growing pains along the way. And also, I mean, if you follow the, the preseason here, 
Dallas Akins has Mason, Mason McTavish playing in more of a defensive role. I mean, he's playing on a line with Isaac Lindstrom. So the points might not necessarily be there early on for McTavish, but watch, just watch what he does when he's out there because he's got those fine little details down and he is a treat to watch in a different way than Zegris, but still, still enjoyable. Yeah. I, I think that's a good way to put it. Like it's still, I think, cause I'm getting older and I don't want to say at the eight, at the sharp age of 27 that I am, you know, look, turning around and looking at kids that are 19 years old playing professionally. And I'm sitting there like, okay, I remember once when I was 19, like that's, we're getting to that age now where I'm getting shocked by it. But yeah, I agree. 19 years old, you got to pump the brakes a little bit, you know, cautiously optimistic, I think would be a, a nice way to put it a little bit, at least for myself. Um, but I like what I've seen, especially in the world juniors. He, lit it on fire and I know that's a a much younger generation of players but that's okay if I think if he did not play well in the juniors I think we would be scratching our heads saying "Uh uh-oh what's going on why is he off because this is not the McTavish we're used to but it was good to see him have a good juniors I like their approach to him and his development which I think speaks especially for Pat Verbeek the new GM for the Ducks his mindset with this organization now I, I think he's in a good spot at, at the age of 19, to, to put it in simpler terms. Uh, David, what do you like about McTavish? And are you kind of in the lines of us of cautiously optimistic? Yeah, I, I mean, I can only reiterate the playmaking skill I've seen of him. It's just, he's got a really great awareness, especially of space and where, where his teammates are. And having that skill that early is um, um, just a really nice boon to have. But yeah, I'm, I'm also in the camp of like, let's pump the brakes. I kind of feel bad for him because you see guys like Zegers come up and, and just light it on fire and Terry figures it out really quickly into his career. And so as Ducks fans, we're kind of getting a little spoiled with the young talent coming up to the point that we kind of forget these are still kids and there's going to be uh, some growing pains here and there. And, you know, they're very, very well, but he may come up and immediately play all-star level hockey. But if he doesn't, you know, it, it shouldn't surprise anyone. anyone. He should have, you know, uh, the necessary time <laughs> allocated to really grow into his own. He's only, and he is only 19. It's crazy. But it also gives you hope that he's, he looks so talented at such a young age too. Yeah. And there was another talented youngster before we get into some of the new free agent signings that the Ducks had over the off season. And that, and as we mentioned before, the changing of the guard at the general manager uh, level from Bob Murray to Pat Verbeek last season. And this was Verbeek's first full off season to really put a thumbprint on this organization. Owen Zellweger was somebody that a lot of people were high on coming into this season. The Ducks assigned him. He won't be on the Ducks to start the season. What was the mindset of Owen Zellweger, Felix? And what can you really give us as a developmental progress report on Zellweger, another youngster for the Ducks? Yeah, so the thing with Zellweger, the the whole thing with Zellweger really is that he's really young for his draft year. He's he's like I think days or weeks away. He was days or weeks away from being eligible for the draft after the one he was picked in. So, he's really young. He and that's what makes him so exciting as a prospect is that he's already, I believe set a record for a defenseman in terms of points in a season in the Western Hockey League in in the in the CHL. So, the fact that he's been so productive at such a young age where he's got still a lot of developmental runway left. It's really exciting. It's, it's, it's actually like, I don't want to say it's more exciting than Mason McTavish, but it's exciting in in just a different way because we just haven't really seen this before a defenseman of his size, kind of his stature to just light it up offensively in a, in a league, the WHL, which is like, you know, maybe this isn't true anymore, but this, this stereotype has always been, it's, it's kind of a harder league. It's more physical, so he's done all that, and the Ducks sent him back to, to junior hockey after two preseason games. And so that leaves you to wonder, well, why is that? Why, why would he be sent back so quickly? And my understanding is that this was the plan all along. Like he, he, They wanted to, to get him some exposure to the NHL, but ultimately, because he's so young, because he, can, he still has a lot of physical maturing to do, although he looks, I mean, when he's out there, he looks, he looks great. Um, it, there was no harm in sending him back to the to the WHL. Let him get another season under him, keep developing physically, and just keep finding different ways to to dominate the game. He looked excellent in the preseason. I thought that he was he deserved more games and and, and more uh, and maybe even a chance to make the opening night lineup. But 
all things considered, the organization had a plan for him. They have a developmental pathway for him. And I think that for a lot of Ducks fans, that's great news because the, the one of the big criticisms over the last few years has been that there's never seems to be a plan. So there is a plan for him. And I think when he, when he arrives, which could be as soon as next year, maybe halfway into next year, he's going to be ready and he's going to be really good. Um, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being you're bursting out of your pants, jumping out of the house and getting ready to jump to the moon with Jeff Bezos. Um, how excited can you catch should Ducks fans be of this young core that it, some of them are here. Some of them are going to be here probably within a season or two or based on their development. And is this a little reminiscent a little bit of maybe the Ducks of 2004, five, six, yeah, it was. So I, I'd say like a, an eight or nine, just to be cautious. Like you don't want to like get too ahead of yourselves, but we haven't seen consistent young talent like this for a while where it's almost like every year we're talking about some new hotshot prospect. And so that a, as a Ducks fan, that gets me really excited. It, more so than anything, I have trust and faith in, in the system and the front office and the coaching staffs and just people running the show. I have more faith that I know what they're doing because it's not just us hyping these guys up or the team hyping them up. It's, it's pretty universal with these guys in my fandom. I would say I'm, I'm, I'm excited just because the, the pool of talent seems to be almost never ending at this point. And I'm excited to see who they keep adding to it. And these guys that they eventually will call up how they, how they uh, produce and we expect them to produce. So theme of, of not just this season, but going into, I don't know, the next four seasons, I'd say like a good eight or nine uh, excitement level personally. Yeah. I think it's much different now than maybe the ducks were two seasons ago or maybe entering right sure. the 2019, 2020, right before the pandemic season, where we knew there was a lot of aged veterans on the team that it was the question of, are they coming back? Are they not? Are we willing to spend money? And now that we kind of got over that hump. We know the direction of this organization now. It's clear as day. And we can right. start reaping some of those benefits. And there's not as many question marks hanging. It's just the question marks are kind of like fun question marks. When do we get to see this excitement come to Honda Center? When do we get this? Not so much, are we going to, are we not? And if it's going to happen, what's it going to cost us at this point? Good things coming from the youth movement of the Ducks. Now let's get to what everybody likes to look forward to grading the off season moves. There's some new additions to the ducks this season. And the first one happened, as we mentioned, mid season, Pat Verbeek comes in as the new general manager for the Anaheim ducks, relieving Bob Murray of his GM duties. Uh, there was an interim in the meantime, but Pat Verbeek got the job. Uh, these are the, I would say the five biggest moves he made during free agency, uh, picked up Ryan Strom, Frank Vetrano, John Klingberg, uh, Dmitry Kulikov, and one of the ones that I don't know if we thought was going to be a huge move, but so far through the preseason, three goals and some great puck movement on a great line. Pavel Regenda has been terrific so far. So out of those five free agent signing moves for Pat Verbeek, who had a plethora of money to play with this offseason, he only touched a little bit of it. The Ducks still have plenty of cap space to work with. Felix, what would you grade the moves? And which one of those moves do you think will be the most impactful on this team? Yeah, that's a good question. So I would give uh, Pat Verbeek's offseason an A because if you look at what he could have done versus what he did, I think that he could have easily gone the other way of, hey, I'm just going to you know throw money around. I'm going to sign these big contracts. I'm going to try to kind of buy a playoff spot, right? And he didn't do that, but he did make the team better in the short term. And I think the one that the one that kind of sums that all up to me is, is the John Klingberg signing because John Klingberg is a guy who came into the offseason expecting or hoping to get one of those big defenseman contracts that we've seen, you know, the seven to eight year deals didn't get it. And Pap and Paverbeek has even publicly stated that, you know, that's why they didn't sign him or they, they talked at the beginning of the free agency window and it didn't happen because of that. And once those deals didn't materialize for Klingberg, uh, Verbeek circled back and said, Hey, you know, what, what can we do now? And sure enough, they got a one year deal done 7 million cap hit. And I really think that this sums it up perfectly because Klingberg, he's going to help this team in a big way in the short term. He's a guy who gives them that offensive 
uh, element from the back end that they just haven't had in recent years. He's going to help the power play, which has been terrible the last few years, right? So he, he shores up all of that. He gives them a veteran, a guy who fits in. But if things don't go well, now you've got one of the best uh, trade deadline chips on the market available to you if you're Pat Verbeek. You can go and get more draft picks, more prospects. You can do something with that. Um, or if you're maybe in a playoff position, you can say, okay, well, he's our rental. We're going to keep him through the through the, the playoffs or what have you. So really to sum it all up, Pat Verbeek managed to make the team better in the short in the short term while maintaining that flexibility for the long term when guys like Zegris and Drysdale and Terry are going to need new contracts and are going to get expensive. So it's really, it's really impressive what he did. And I think it's, it should give any Ducks fan a lot of confidence that this guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. And, and David, before I get to you on this point, Felix, I'm going to bounce it back to you for, for a quick thought of what you mentioned. Um, the idea of what they can do with Klingberg, they have multiple options, you know, trade him if they're doing poorly or, you know, utilize him. He's kind of like a Swiss army knife. They have a lot of options with him. Um, is that a part of Pat Verbeek's new philosophy with this organization? Because for fans that might not know the inner workings of the Ducks organization, if you could compare Bob Murray's philosophy as a GM in comparison to what Verbeek's philosophy is right now, what would you say is the major difference between the two? I think the biggest difference is that Pat Verbeek seems to understand that you don't want to give out a lot of term to guys who are entering their late prime or exiting their prime. Because if you look at the Ducks roster, you have examples of that. You know, the, the five-year deals that uh, Murray gave to Silverberg, Henrique, you know, everyone at the time said, hey, those are kind of, well, not everyone, but I remember saying at the time, those are ill-advised, right? The, these are guys who are going to, you know, slowly start to decline over the course of that deal. And Murray gave those out. There's other examples of that too. And Verbeek is the complete opposite of that. He's said multiple times, I don't want to give out term. Term is not something that they're really on the market for right now. And yeah, they gave Ryan Strom five years, but that's really it. And it's it's not at an unreasonable figure at, five, at a $5 million a year cap hit. So that's the biggest difference to me is that Pat Verbeek just has a better understanding of how these things work, of how aging curves work and where to allocate money in relation to that. You know, there was a lot of said about Bob Murray as a person and all the the things that were going on in his personal life that were affecting the work life when he was relieved of his general management duties uh, with the Ducks last season. But that that's pretty much on paper what the biggest difference Verbeek and Murray had. And I think what's going to take the Ducks to a new level starting this season and a new, you know, change of the guard. That's just how it happens. You know, David and I are probably going to be hopefully saying this, as we mentioned, when Artie Moreno officially sells the team with the Angels and. <laughs> We can enjoy some of those conversations, but speaking of David, what would you grade Pat Verbeek's offseason and the moves he's made this year? And a lot has been said about the cap for the Ducks, how they really are on the not spending that money and doing a lot of smaller deals, and they have a lot of money to play with. Do you agree with that? Do they maybe need to spend a little more here and there, or are they just waiting to see how this youth movement develops? and then can kind of put the pieces together when that time comes. Yeah, I definitely think it's the latter. For me, it's like a B plus, A, a minus kind of off season. Nothing too flashy. Uh, I love the Klingberg signing because the options to flip them, and we know how active Verbeek can get at that trade deadline uh, after last season. That was insane coming onto the job and getting all that done. Uh, kudos to him. But, uh, yeah, I think flexibility is the name of the game right now. Right now, you're – you're slowly calling these guys up, seeing what they got, letting them build up the skill, get comfortable, kind of grow into their own. Uh, if you get wins out of it, fantastic. But it's all about development right now. They're not yet in that window where they where comp, you know competition really becomes key. Now it's just kind of developing. Um, so I don't think the, there was a ton of pressure to really spend this offseason. And I like that they did it because eventually you're going to have guys like Zegers and Terry required hefty contracts and that's where the money in my opinion should be focused is keeping these homegrown guys who still have a huge window of, of prime hockey left so I, I i really like that he didn't uh, uh break the bank uh kept it um pretty uh frugal and and left options on the table that's the most important thing he didn't hamstring the franchise um they still have a lot of room to play it it really does help for future seasons and i like that he had the foresight 
to to keep that in mind while he was playing around free agency. And the funny thing is, David and I, since we cover the Angels and the Ducks, free agency and offseason deals are very different in these two sports. You're looking at, in baseball, deals that are $20 million a year, five years, $200 million. The money is just spent in baseball uh, amongst other sports like football and basketball. Hockey is kind of the complete opposite. You could have players getting a seven-year deal worth, what, $15 million? They're getting $2 million a year, to say the least. And But they have the talent level like a Mike Trout, like a Taylor Ward, like a Jared Walsh. And it's, it's very funny to see how money differs between the sports. I've, I've always found that fascinating. And knowing that the Ducks have some money pent up and saved, we know Troy Terry and we know Trevor Zegers are going to warrant big contracts that are going to be the focal point. They're pretty much going to be the Getzloff and Corey Perry combo of the past now for the Ducks. Felix, do you see or can predict what the Ducks could do with those two contracts in the future? Yeah, so thankfully, uh, I don't have to do that because <laughs> Evolving evolving Hockey has a tool where they project contracts, and it's actually it's, it's been shown to be pretty spot on. So for anyone who's listening who's trying to get more into you know, hockey stats, analytics, Evolving Hockey, uh, I would check them out. Really good stuff. And so they have Trevor Zegers projected at seven-year term, $6.878 million year cap hit. And so to me, that would be a great number for the Ducks because if you look at what Jack Hughes got as a number one overall pick, he got eight by eight. And he did that without putting up the numbers that uh, Trevor Zegers has posted so far in his career. And I think that, I don't know if Trevor Zegers will be better than Jack Hughes, but I think he has a real shot to be as good and the fact that he's already been more productive through the same amount of games shows that if the Ducks could get Zegers at that number, they'd be, I think they would be pretty happy about it. I think Trevor Zegers and, you know, his agent will probably want more because, you know, the, the going rate for a young star nowadays seems to be that eight, eight year, you know, $8 million a year. It, it just seems to be the going rate. So for Zegers, I think that it'll be somewhere in that range. Uh, and then with Troy Terry, um, you know, evolving ha- hockey hasn't pro- projected at four years. Uh, that's the, and these are like the likeliest deals. So there's other possibilities, but this is the likeliest deal at uh, four years, $5.5 million a year. And so to me, that's a little bit more interesting because that four year term that takes Terry to his UFA uh, window. So you don't become a UFA in the NHL until you're about 27, 28. There, there's a bunch of other rules that go into that, but that's generally how it shakes out. So at 24, that would then take him to his next payday. Maybe he'll end up wanting to do a longer term deal because he loves it so much with the Ducks. He just wants to, to stick around, values that stability. So between the two of them, that's pretty much what you're looking at. And honestly, neither of those contracts are going to be that prohibitive because you're going to get the best years that those guys still have to offer. I mean, if Terry signs at that rate, you're going to get some really good seasons out of him. He's not really going to decline. Same thing with Zegras. You're going to get their best years. Absolutely. David, is it me or am I just baffled by these? I guess and, and I <laughs> compared to baseball. Yeah. yeah. You can call them cheaper contracts, but you know, it's still a lot of money in hockey, but d- does this baffle you, David? Like we're so used to talking yeah, about it's, like, like judge it, it, money and Otani money. Right. And like if, if you put Zegras right now in, into a baseball uniform and he's producing like in baseball, like he is in hockey, he's making like 15 mil a year. Yeah. Like, right. That's crazy that he'd be going to, to, to like six, it's, which, it's which, world. which would make him the highest paid forward or highest paid player in the league. If he was making 15 million. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Like that's, it's, it's insanity to, to think of the, it, it, I know everything in life sometimes, especially in sports can boil down to a money business game. But hockey is always just one of those sports that I'm just always perplexed in the best way possible of the way the money works out. Like my, what would like David and I joke about this all the time. What would Mike Trout get in hockey money? Like (laughs) it wouldn't be the, you know, 12 year, 450 million contract he got because that would be literally Mike Trout on the ice by himself. (laughs) And maybe he would take up two organizations at that point based on the payroll. But it's always an intriguing, intriguing 
aspect to look at when you're especially looking at payroll and i'm so glad that hockey now has is getting more into analytics just like baseball is and you have those options to kind of project out into the future especially with some young talent um speaking of projections a little bit especially with new gm pat pat verbeek head coach dallas akins on the last year of a deal uh, 77, 132 record in three seasons with the Ducks. And a little bit of that three seasons was missed a little bit because of COVID and the Ducks didn't make the playoffs and they went home early. Um, what are your thoughts on Aikens as a head coach? Um, what is his leash this season? And could the Ducks be looking for a new coach next season or even midseason? if things don't start off well at the beginning? Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a fascinating question because I could see it going a number of ways. I'll say this. I think Dallas Akins is just a really good person. I mean, everything that I've kind of seen, you know, the way he interacts with players. I mean, I think to a man, everyone says he's a great communicator. He's really good just kind of in that locker room. And I mean, he's big on like, you know, fitness, leadership stuff. Like he's just one of those guys who gets it from that perspective. But unfortunately, results-based business and, and that stuff only gets you so far. And for, for, for Aiken so far, you know, we don't really have a lot of evidence that he's kind of got it all together tactically. You know, he's really favored these kind of lesser players playing them in, in, in key situations like Derek Grant over the years. I mean, even Nick Delorier getting some key defensive assignments. And so he's also treated, you know, Trevor Zegras with really severe kid gloves, you know, not playing him, like basically taking him out of the game. Anytime there's like two minutes left in the game or five minutes left in the game and, and the ducks are up and they're protecting a lead. So it's just stuff like that. Right. I could go on and on and on, but like essentially D Dallas Higgins has shown that at best his tactics right now have been a little questionable. He hasn't gotten his team to be able to play this kind of solid defensive game. And yeah, the rosters have been great. Of course, we have to acknowledge that, but he he just hasn't really seemed to add a lot of value to their whatever their baseline is. You, I don't think anyone from the last few seasons watching this team has thought, yeah, Dallas Aikens, regardless of how bad this team was, made them just a little bit better. I just don't, and, and you know, people pick up on that, you know, for better or worse. So going into the season, all of those excuses are gone. All of those potential reasons for why, and 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 I think a lot of those reasons, the excuses were legitimate. Like the rosters weren't great, you know doesn't sound like working for Bob Murray was all that fun. So all that's gone. He's got a better roster. These younger players are going to get better quickly. You know, Trevor Zegers, Jamie Drysdale, they're coming into their own and, and he's going to have help. He's got a better GM. He's got a better support network around him. So it's kind of put up or shut up Tom. Like, I don't think that the bar is at making the playoffs, but he's got to show that he can get this team playing a reliably solid brand of hockey. They have to be able to push the play. They have to be able to defend. And that's just, those are things that they haven't done. So if the Ducks make the playoffs, I think there's a real chance he is back because, you know, the, the owners, Henry and Susan Samuel, I think that they do have a bit of a soft spot for him. He's a guy who came up through the organization. You know, he was the coach of the San Diego goals beforehand. So it's like, you want to see someone like that succeed. That's come up through your own organization. I understand that on the flip side, Pat Verbeek, you know, I'm sure there's the same thing in baseball. You want to hire your own guy. You want to be able to handpick your own guy. So I think that if the Ducks make the playoffs, he's got a chance of coming back. I still don't think it's a guarantee. And I think if they miss the playoffs, I think he's as good as gone because then it's just Pat Verbeek has a really easy pathway to say, well, you know, good, good job, Dallas, tough run. We, we gave you another chance, but now I'm, I'm going to kind of go a different way. So I guess that's not really answering your question. It could play out a bunch of different ways. There's a lot of scenarios here. I think so. No, I think you answered it perfectly. I think there is a, a multitude of scenarios that could happen. And I, I can kind of get why the Ducks have a soft spot for Aikens, you know, coaching the goals. And a lot of the players he coached are now coming up in the ranks. Some of them have gone. Some of them are here. But he does have that deep-rooted connection to the organization. So I get it. I, I don't think it's a bad connection to have but results do hinder your business and 77 132 is not great on paper and there has been some issues why maybe that could be the case but I think it is a make it or break it year and I know the coach isn't on the ice playing hockey it's you know it's the it's the rest of the squad but 
They are, you know, David and I know this very well, especially with Joe Madden getting fired back in <laughs> early in the season. We, we are already nervous. We we've had enough coaching changes in the angels organization to last at least a good 20 or 30 years. David, I think we can agree on that. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we have PTSD from that already, but yeah. you nail it on the head with, you know, maybe the GM didn't get to pick who he wanted as head coach. And clearly we know that from the angels as well. Perry Manassian did not get to choose Joe Madden. And we saw how that relationship ended. So David, for you, what would Dallas Aikens have to do besides winning hockey games? And I know winning is everything in sports, but taking that obvious answer off the table, what would Aikens have to do to secure his job going forward outside of this season? I don't, I don't think there is anything else, else besides winning, right? It's everyone likes him. It's not the issue. Everyone like Joe Madden too. Uh, it's, it's tough. And we see this all the time with baseball, the GM, a new GM comes in, they want their guys, their philosophy. They, you know, that's what they're brought in to do is to put their stamp on a franchise. So I think, you know, the only thing that would like guarantee him sticking around is a playoff series win. In my opinion, that's it. He gets to the playoffs. I think he's got a, a solid chance. Um, but you need to play some electric, electrifying hockey this season. We need to see a lot more of what we saw um, before uh, the all-star break last season. You need to see that the whole season, a lot of growth, a lot of development, and then you got to have the wins. You just have to, especially with the new GM. If it was, if it was the old regime, I would say you get to the playoffs, you're, you're safe, but that's just not the case. If you don't, basically, if you don't check a box when Verbeek tells you to check the box, you know, you either get an A on the homework or you turn it on time and you get an A or you turn it late and you're getting docked 20 points. And right. that 20, getting docked 20 points means you don't have a job anymore here in Anaheim. I think Aikens is going to get the full year. I think the whole point of bringing him back is to give him this opportunity because now he's got, he's got toys to play with. You know, you've got Klingberg on the back end. You've got Strom, Vitrano, a little bit more depth up front. McTavish is here now and, and the youngsters have picked up experience. So the whole point of this season is to basically give Dallas Aikens every last opportunity to show that he can, he can coach. And I think getting back to what it would take to, to for him to stick around, maybe if the Ducks, you know, maybe they don't make the playoffs, but they they showed really well. You know, they were one of those last teams out and they were just playing a really solid brand of hockey. But let's say, I don't know, injuries do them in or John Gibson has another bad season. Then maybe there's a chance. You know, I think that's really what people have wanted to see from for a long time is just can he get the team playing respectably? Yeah, if, if the team is hot or if the team is consistent and competitive, what does that competitive team look like? Is it competitive and losing, competitive and winning, or just being a thorn in other team's sides around the NHL? So it's a, it's a good point to discuss, and, and by no means are we trying to, you know, kick Aikens out the door right away <laughs> before, before a regular season game has even been playing. But so far through the preseason even though the, you know, the Ducks are, are four and two through the first six games of preseason, and they got one more this weekend at, at uh, almost at Staples Center, but it's technically crypto.com. You now. can still say Staples. It's it forever matter. Staples Center. It doesn't matter. <laughs> We're going to the Crip. I don't think people are going to like that. But, uh, you know, one more against the Kings this weekend. And, and, you know, those are always good battles for the freeway faceoff. But the Ducks have looked exciting through the preseason so far, and they've gotten some good goaltending. Um, from Dostal and Stolarz and Gibson had a game and you know the Ducks always do extremely well in developing goaltenders and we've seen that for uh, at least a decade plus now Um, even through the whole organizational the Ducks have done a terrific job at the goaltending spot and I know we really haven't talked about the goaltending spot tonight but it's been John Gibson and net for many years now and Stolarz came on very well last season and you know, with all the COVID last year, Dostal did the same thing as well. So I think those are going to be your three guys, uh, you know, Gibson and Stolarz are one, two, and Dostal got assigned to AHL San Diego today. Um, so we'll see what happens. I think the Ducks have a good young core, some good veteranship. Uh, there is going to be no captain on this team right now. You're going to have the three A's, as we like to call them. And uh, before we get to predicting and kind of getting some news and notes around the Pacific Division, prediction on who will be wearing the three A's this year, Felix. My, my three, if I had to take a quick guess, would be Fowler, Henrique, 
Silverberg. That would be my quick three. What would be your quick three A's? Yeah, I, I think I actually agree with yours, but just just to be a little different, <laughs> I'll I'll say uh, Henrik, uh, Fowler, and Klingberg. But I think I think yours is, is the likeliest. Klingberg was my backup option, so we're thinking <laughs> the line. And that's great. Uh, David, quick three. Who would I'll, be your three A's? I'll, I'll go off the wall. I'll say uh, Troy Terry. Uh, Fowler, for sure. I think that one's a guaranteed. And we'll go Henry. Okay. So Henry, I, I could think, see that. Yeah, I think Henry and Fowler may be the obvious choice, just the, the veteran presence on that squad. Um, but, you know, you never know what can happen. It might change from game to game, depending on how things are going. The Ducks have, you know, they've established there will be no C because of the impact Ryan Getzloff had on this organization, which I think is a touching tribute to, to Mr. Number 15. So looking at the Ducks, t- putting their roster and everything to the side, let's take a look at the other teams in the division. Pacific Division, you have Kings, Sharks, Flames, Oilers, Golden Knights, Canucks, Kraken. Out of those teams, Felix, who's favored? Who could be a threat to the Ducks? And who is, you know, just kind of a consensus of what's going on in the Pacific Division? <laughs> well, there, there, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, kind of predictive models coming out with very different results than what I was expecting, what I thought that the Pacific Division was going to look like. So I'll just give my, I'll start with just giving my own, like, this is what I think, you know, this should be. If, if you look, I think that the best team in the Pacific right now is the the Calgary Flames. I think that they've yeah, got, you know, they've kind of got everything still mostly intact. You know, the, the names have changed, but on balance, it's still a very good roster, a good coach. They've kind of got everything there. I think that, you know, this is not going to be a popular take, but I think the LA Kings also have a chance to, to do really well in this division. Um, you know, they've got young players that are going to take steps forward and they made a really good addition with Kevin Fiala this offseason, who I thought the Ducks could have, should have been on, uh, been in on. And then I think Edmonton rounds out that top three for me. So Calgary, Edmonton, LA, um, I think the Sharks are going to be the worst team. Uh, despite those great New Jersey's, they're going to be the worst team. Uh, and then really from there, it's it's kind of this mushy little group that I think the Ducks find themselves in. I don't know what to do with the Vegas Golden Knights. I think that their goaltending is pretty bad but the rest of the roster i mean you you see the talent you see the top end talent so i think they're going to be i think realistically the ducks are going to be fighting with the likes of vegas with the likes of vancouver maybe of seattle you know if some of their young guys take a step forward and they get decent goaltending which they probably will because it just can't be as bad as it was last year so i think really the ducks are going to be fighting with seattle vancouver and, and vegas if i had to if i had to guess deep in the distance of this podcast the, uh, the Ducks fans may be disliking Felix for saying anything positive about the Kings for a moment, but it is true. They made a great, you know, free agent sign in Fiala, and they have some really great young talent that is coming up. It started coming up last year, kind of like the Ducks. And, you know, I know it pains Ducks fans to say it, but I think the Kings are going to be just as competitive, if not even more than they were last year. And they took a big step in the right direction. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think the Sharks and the Kraken are bottom of the Pacific division. I think on paper, you know, no game has been played yet. The Ducks are better than the Sharks and Kraken on paper. I, I, I even if some people disagree, I will, I, I can fight you tooth and nail to that. I think the Ducks are better, even with the Calgary Flames losing Johnny Gaudreau, which I thought maybe I was a little lost in the in the mush a little bit. David and I had a free agent prediction uh, episode, and I thought you know, maybe sarcastically enough that maybe the Ducks were in on Johnny Gaudreau. Maybe that was a little far stretch. Maybe I was just daydreaming a little bit. I did like Patrick Lane, though, uh, from Winnipeg. But sidebarring, Flames were a great team. Oilers were a great team. You know, they still got Connor McDavid. So, what you know, what are you going to do at that point? Golden Knights, they are always a thorn in our side. I don't know what it is about that building, about those that team, that organization. The Ducks just haven't figured it out quite against uh, against the Gold Knights. So it's going to be interesting to see. My three are the same as your three, Felix, Kings, Flames, Oilers, but my order's a little different. I got Oilers, Flames, Kings in the third hole. The young Kings, I think, will need to prove themselves to me before I can put them higher than three. And then, I, you know, we'll get to, the at the end, the big predictions. My bold prediction, I don't want to say it. I'm going to keep it for the end. Um, but that's my three at the moment. Uh, David, what, what are your outlook on the Pacific division and how could the Ducks potentially crack the code that's the Golden Knights this season? 
to, to sum it up, essentially, I agree with you guys about, you know, around the top three. I think maybe uh, Vegas and the Kings are interchangeable. Uh, I really like the Canadian teams. The Flames for a while kind of look like they're about to tear it down and go into a tank after after getting rid of uh, Chuck and, and uh, Gaudreau. And then they just go and restock completely and look like a great team again. Um, so I really like um, uh, Calgary and the Oilers have, you know, played some of their best hockey in forever last season. And, you know, it's hard to bet against uh, Connor McDavid. So uh, they're, uh, they're really talented. Um, I think that rivalry has been really fun to watch lately too. So I think that's going to continue for that, that, that one, two spot top of the division. Um, the Kings remind me of the ducks a lot. It's that youth movement, but they're a little bit more ahead right now. Um, that's going to, that it's, it's really awesome in a way in that ducks Kings rivalry is reinvigorated it's just several years ago it was those games were nuts just the passion around the two fan bases when the teams met up was insane um we can expect a lot more of that again and that's that i'm really looking forward to that but yeah the kings are gonna be really good and they're gonna be really good for a long time again they've uh rebuilt and they rebuilt quickly and then yeah we're, we're talking about vegas it's i swear it was the it's it's giving them shea theodore for free it's a curse <laughs> Mm-hmm. They shouldn't have done it. It's still biting them in the butt. Shit, you know, Theodore's like really good with them. Yeah, he's been awesome. So it, it, he was they the always kiss of seem, death. <laughs> yeah, they always seem to figure it out. They're um, they're well run. They they're always bringing in talent. Uh, yeah, they just it's 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 like the Ducks, right? The Ducks started out really strong. They they used to have the um, what what's the expansion record for most wins in expansion season. Uh, until I guess Vegas came around and then the ducks were just good every year. And we're kind of seeing that out of Vegas. except Vegas took it to a whole other level. It's like they're competing for a Stanley cup every single season. So I, I just, I can't count them out for the ducks solving the, the night issue. I think it's more of get your wins where you can against them and just keep, keep a, a healthy record against the division at the end of the day. I think the Kraken are going to give you a lot of opportunities for wins Sharks just aren't there yet. They're they're bottom feeders, and the Canucks are interesting. Um, there are times where they go through really good stretches of hockey. I know Bruce Boudreau last season was hailed as a god in Vancouver for a little bit. They they fell in love with him quickly, and they they have a they have a bright future ahead of them. But they're also not ready yet. They're just a little bit more ahead of the Kraken and and uh, the Sharks. It's it's going to be tough with the Ducks, but I think. They could, they could match what the Kings did last season. Uh, I don't see that out of the realm of possibility. There's talent on this team. It is it, it, On paper, it's a better squad this season. And if they can kind of replicate what they did before uh, the All-Star break last season, we saw them on a pace to make the playoffs. We kind of almost expected it after a certain point because they just weren't – they kept winning. And then all of a sudden, it just stopped. So I think if they can um, maintain some consist- consistency throughout the entire season – being in the playoff conversation is not out of the question. And I think they're knocking on the door. They're really, really close. Yeah. West coast, best coast for hockey. I know there's a, a ton of terrific teams on the East coast, but in any sport, there's always that East coast bias, but the West coast, and I think the Pacific division is going to be a, a division to look at this season. It, it might not be flashy and as sexy as the, Rangers versus Capitals or, you know, any, any big showdown matchup on ESPN or TNT or whatever you want to call it. Um, but I think it's a nice kind of blue collar dig in the trenches type division. But before we go, before we let Felix go and, and we kind of finish off here on another episode of the Catella Chronicles podcast, Ducks season preview 2022-2023 edition, big prediction time. Uh, three predictions. I want to get both of your takes on. I will have a take as well, and we can circle them, come back to them at the end of the season and see who was close, who was far off and who does not need to be doing any more predicting the rest of their lives, but it's all good. It's all fun. The good, the bad, and the ugly, but here we go. So I previewed them before we started off the podcast. You guys kind of know what they are, but for the fans, this is what the three predictions are. Who will be the ducks top goal scorer? who will be the top assist leader. And I need one massively bold prediction from you guys. So Felix, you are the guest of honor. Give me your top goal scorer, top assist leader, and give me a big, sexy, bold prediction for the Ducks this season. (laughs) 
Okay. Oh boy. Um, all right. Well, let's see. I think that I'll start with the easiest one. Trevor Zegers is going to have the most assists. I think we can, we can pencil that one in. He's going to be on the first power play unit. He's going to have better line mates. Frank Vetrano is a really nice fit next to him as a shooter. So Trevor Zegers, he will lead the team in assists. Uh, I think once again, despite the fact that Troy Terry shot a crazy shooting percentage last year, and that is bound to regress. I just don't really see anyone else on this team that can challenge him for being the top goal scorer. So I'm going with Troy Terry again. Troy Terry is going to lead this team in goal scoring. Uh, So you've got Terry for goals. You've got Zegers for assists. And then the big prediction, man, I mean, (laughs) I don't know if I really have one, but I'll, I'll, I'll throw I'll Welcome to the fire. Welcome to the fire of the Catello Chronicles podcast. Just <laughs> yeah, I'm kind Welcome. of flap, I'm flapping in the wind here. I'll say I'll say this. My my big prediction is that I think two parts. I think one, Jamie Drysdale is going to take a really big step forward. I think he's due, which is you know like just not not really much of an analysis, but I think that he, <laughs> he he's shown signs, you know that that he's got what it takes to be an impact level NHL defenseman. And I think this year, I mean, I hate to, I hate to go into this, but he looks like he looks in much better shape. Like he looks, he looks like he's put on muscle. And I think that that's really important for him because he's got to be better defensively. I think he's going to round out his game and he's going to be, he's just going to be better. I think that that's really important for this team. And I think that that might not be the, the most sound take because his underlying numbers were still really bad last year, but I think he's got it in him. And then second prediction, you know, why, why the heck not? Um, I think ducks are making the playoffs. I, this is a pro- probably going to look a little ludicrous of a take in, in hindsight. I mean, right now, like some models have the ducks at like 26% chance of making the playoffs. So this might be crazy, but I think that they, I think they've got what it takes, you know, especially if John Gibson takes a step, you know, takes a step back to where he was um, and these young players continue to develop. They're going to be in there. So Ducks make the playoffs and Jamie Drysdale takes a step forward. Those are my, my fun ones. Love it. Love it. Love it. David top goal scorer, assist leader, and one big sexy, bold prediction. Yeah. There's not going to be a ton of competition for uh, Troy Terry in the points department, especially in goal scoring. So I'm going to say he, uh, he's a top goal scorer. I like Sigrius as the assist leader. Ooh, prediction. I could go one of two ways. One, one of my predictions was how they're going to win first round series. But if let's say we go the opposite direction, I think uh, we're going to be talking about a replacement for Eakins um, before the season ends. Okay. Oh. Plausible. 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 Sexy can be plausible. Plausible can be sexy, folks. For me, yeah, I think it's going to be a clean sweep here. Uh, top goal scorer, Troy Terry. If I had to give a second place just for the sake of argument maybe Vetrano maybe you know flashes in his first year with the Ducks maybe gets a little score happy and see what happens uh but uh Troy Terry no doubt top goal scorer I'm gonna be a little contrarian here on the assist leader I think it's actually gonna be a defenseman and I think it's gonna be Cam Fowler I think he 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 was second to the team behind Zegers last year and I think Zegers is going to have another terrific year being on the, you know, that top power play unit, getting a lot of extra chances. And he just knows how to make plays happen. I'm going to give that same credit to Cam Fowler just on the veteranship and just leading this team in a different way that he hasn't led the team before. And I think it's going to give him an extra burst of that youthful glow that will carry him into the top assist leader. And I think he beats Zegers by one assist. It's going to be close. <laughs> there you go. Um, one bold prediction. I think the Ducks finished third in the division. I know that's very bold. I think they're going to, it's going to be a battle between them and the Kings for third place in the division. I think that's, I, I think David hit the nail on the head. Um, we're going to get back to that grimy, gritty, nasty, bullseye type mentality uh, between these two squads and the freeway faceoff. It's going to be more amped up than it's probably been over the last couple of seasons. And I think that's going to bring out the best in the Ducks. And I, I can see them, um, if all things go right, third in the division and get a divisional spot. If not, I think it's still going to be a competitive season for them. A 1B, I think Max Jones has a great season. I think be, being gone for all of last season 
he, you heard him in his post-game interview after the 5-4 victory against the Kings uh, last night. He loves being back. He's here for the fans. He, he's excited. He's healthy. He looks stronger. He's going to have more of a leadership role on this team, even though he's only been here for a little bit. So I'm going to give Mac, if, if the Ducks team itself had like a their own team comeback player of the year, Max Jones is definitely going to win that, no doubt about it. But uh, yeah, Terry for goal scorer, Fowler for assist leader, and the Ducks will beat out the Kings for third in the division and make the postseason. So those are our big predictions for this season. But with that being said, that will take us to the end of episode number seven here of the Catella Chronicles podcast with your host, Dominic Lorenz, and co-host David Goodkind and our terrific guest for the first time on the podcast, Felix Sicard, writer for the fourth period and Crash the Pond podcast host. Um, if anybody wants to follow Felix, Felix, where can they find you on the Twitterverse? Yeah, find me at Felix underscore Sicard and, you know, definitely check out the podcast, Crash the Pond. If you want more Ducks coverage, uh, we've got you covered. We, we go live on Twitch every Monday night at 8 p.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time, and you don't have to catch it live, but it's a good time. And I did, so quickly, I do want to throw this back at you real quick. Yeah. Do you think, do you think that Shohei Itani will be an angel past his current contract? Yeah. And if not, and if not, do you, where do you think he lands? So Felix decides to give us a loaded question <laughs> at the beginning of the show. And at the end of the show, is this payback for me asking you for a bold prediction? Is this payback? No, I'm actually just, I'm, I'm legitimately curious because um, as, as a San Francisco Giants fan, I'm kind of hoping he, 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 you know, gets out of Anaheim. He gets but, out. Um, I'm, I feel David and I want to play the Homer cards and like, yes, he's going to stay. Um, I don't, <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen. Wow. Okay. Yeah, well, but yeah, I'm going to play the Homer card. David, oh, do we need to talk? Card. We need to have a talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, think, gonna... I think a lot of it has to do with the changing of the guard and the ownership. And Agree. it's kind of a 100%. pivotal point in his contract negotiation would be this off season where you don't have an owner to pay the check. And that's where I'm just like, it doesn't make a lot of sense for him to make the effort to resign. Like Agree. Just a big deal. But for Felix's fandom, I, where I have him going, he's not going to like. I think oh, the Dodgers no. make a lot of sense. Don't say that. So funny. I <laughs> Don't hate say it. That. I would much rather him. I think I think Aaron Judge, though, if I were to if you were to leave the Yankees, I think it makes a lot of sense for the Giants. So that's your okay. Okay. consolation prize. Thank you. But I think, I'll take it. I think, I think Otani versus Judge in the same division will be a lot of fun. Of course, I hope he stays with the Angels for like a 20-year deal. But uh <laughs> I, I I realistically I think um just because of the situation of the Angels, their inability to win recent years. I think he's out of here and the Dodgers by all accounts are top tier organization. He'd be close to where he's made home. He'd be yeah. paid boatloads of money uh, and be in, in one of the top markets in the country. So it, to me, Ooh. they make the most sense. That's, wow. that's unfortunate. David I hope that, wins- I, I, I hope you're completely wrong. <laughs> I do too. I really do. If he leaves <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> we getting spicy at the end of this. David at first yeah. was saying that, you know, the Angel fans are coming for him. Then he kind of supplements, oh, a 20-year deal for Otani. I'll take it. <laughs> um, I for love me, it, but I, I just don't feel it coming. Yeah, for me, I'll, I'll play the homer card a little bit. Just, just a pinch. And I will say, you know, where he could possibly go. Um, I think the one-year $30 million deal, not only that it avoids arbitration, I think it's a, a good kind of olive branch between him and Manassian of a relationship. Um, I know it's more between the agent and the GM, but it, it, it shows hopefully good things to come. And I agree 100% of the way the, owner, the new ownership is going to make the biggest difference in this case. Um, if $30 million per year is the average for Shohei Otani, he's not too, too worried about making 40, 50, being the highest paid player ever in the game. I think the Angels can sign him back and will sign him back. He has a great relationship with Trout. Hopefully 2023 is a much better year and kind of like the Ducks, a upward trajectory season. So I think the Angels could get it done. I think he might not be like a 10-year deal because he is 28 going on 29 years old. I would love to see like a five-year deal worth 30 to 35 million. I think that a lot of people would say, oh my God, that's nothing. But I think that's comfortable for Shohei Otani for what he does. So that's being the homer. If he does leave at any point, 
he's going to New York, but it's not the Yankees. It's the Mets. Oh. A big they'll open the pocket, but they will. They'll, they'll, they'll because because I think the Mets, <laughs> the Mets are being, you know, they're, they're tired of being, you know, the little brother to the Yankees. And that would give them a shot of adrenaline. And he has a relationship with Mets GM, Billy Epler. That's who got him to the Angels. Yes. Uh, you know, when, you know, when he came here from Japan and I think he would do well on that team. Imagine him with DeGrom potentially if he resigned. Well, that's also the thing. Yeah. If they lose DeGrom, yeah. there's more money to play with. Right. Exactly. And, you know, potentially with Scherzer, potentially with Pete Alonso, you know, seeing him in that big market would be very, very interesting. Um, and to your point of, of judge going to San Francisco and Otani going to the Dodgers, I think if that case happened, I think, the Dodgers would push a lot of money this offseason for Aaron Judge. Ugh, I know it might sound weird. No. Don't re-sign Bellinger. Don't sign Trey Turner. Trade somebody else who's big money on your contract, and you can slide in and get Judge because it's just the Dodger thing to do. <laughs> they did it with Freeman last year. They'll do it again and have an outfield that will have judge and bets and the Red Sox <laughs> and Yankees can join hand in hand together and hate the Dodgers. And the Dodgers, oh. the annoying part is then they always have like the top three prospects coming up too. So yeah. oh, that's, no. that is hilarious. The cycle of violence guys. The cycle, cycle of violence coming from the Dodgers. I think that's how it boils down, but um, <sighs> yeah. What an encompassing moment. We were feeling good coming into this podcast and now we're just sitting there saying, I'm sorry, okay? I, <laughs> what have we done to ourselves <laughs> mentally? <laughs> this is a rough season, guys. It was. Exactly. Hey, uh, if you're a baseball fan, the offseason has begun. If you're a fan of the Angels, if, it's, if you're a fan of the Ducks, uh, welcome to the 2022-2023 campaign. We are getting ready to roll Ducks opening night on Wednesday, October the 12th at home at Honda Center, or a.k.a. the Pond, uh, taking on the Seattle Kraken before heading off on a big East Coast swing is their first road trip. God, the NHL schedulers do not like the Ducks for some apparent nope. reason. But it's always fun. You got to play the games. You got to do it. But I guess the Ducks would rather do it now than in December in negative degree weather and freezing. But for now, I'm Dominic Lorenz. That is David Goodkind. Give a round of applause at home to our guest, Felix Sicard. Thank you for joining us. We truly appreciate your insight. And uh, you are more than welcome anytime back on the podcast for sure. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Of course. And Thank David, uh, cheers to you. Uh, you are seven day, less than seven days away from being a married man. So happy, happy marriage, uh, happy wife, happy life. And uh, of course. Good luck on yes. the move. And uh, cheers to you, buddy. We love you. Appreciate it. Love you guys, too. Thank you so much. You know, getting in some Ducks hockey, man, if I missed it. Oh, it's going to be so great this year. But for all things Catella Chronicles, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Catella underscore C-H-R-O-N for all good things, Angels and Ducks content. But until the next time for the Catella Chronicles podcast, I'm Dominic, that's David, and we are the heartbeat of pro sports in Anaheim.